Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Way with Fanoa. I'm super excited for tonight's show, um, and hopefully I finally fixed Facebook Live. Hopefully, 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 I'm really hoping that I got it together. You know, bear with me, guys. I am still doing all the tech stuff by myself, so um, really appreciate everyone's patience and support. Yes, I got Facebook Live working. Yay! Anyway, um, again, really excited for tonight's show. My, oh, he just sent me a text message and said I can't be too over verbose or anything. My stepfather will be joining me in a little bit to talk. Today is Fred Hampton's birthday, and I was going to, I was like, who should I talk to? It'd be really great to have someone talk to about Fred Hampton, revolutionary movement building, you know, putting a critical analysis on, you know, things that have happened over the last several decades and some of the actions that have been happening over the past decade, you know, the current work that's going on. So I was like, oh, I have my own personal, you know, rock star in the family, my daddy, my stepdad. And then he told me that I'm supposed to like not be all like, oh my God, you're so amazing. He is. Um, but I did it before he started watching. <laughs> um, aside, hey, hey, OC. And then I'll also, it's like family night on a Noah's show. Yeah, my family's this awesome that I can just like pull out the roster and call them all in. My godmother will be joining us. My mother, one of my moms, will be joining us uh, a little later in the show. Um, and we're going to talk, we'll chop it up a little bit and talk a little bit more about um, yesterday, uh, uh, Lisa Madigan, Attorney General of Illinois, filed suit to... Uh, basically for, for Chicago PD to be under uh, a court supervised order, um, court supervised oversight. Uh, this, this has happened in uh, the Chicago board of education has been under one before. Um, so Chicago housing authority had been over under a federal receivership for over 40 years. So, um, it is, it's a semi degree. It is an extraordinary measure, but considering how corrupt Chicago PD is considering how corrupt Chicago is, this is absolutely necessary. We've seen the way Rahm Emanuel likes to deal with transparency and accountability. Um, really excited to talk with, with, with her, Professor Judith Scully, as she has some firsthand knowledge from her own experience working as an attorney, as a litigator in Chicago, um, doing criminal defense work as well as civil rights work. And some of the, if you've ever heard about the, the John Burge area two cases, um, you know, she does some really amazing work through the lens of teaching through the lens of, uh, uh, pol U S police brutality cases through an international human rights lens. So, so, so this is going to be a couple of pretty cool conversations and I will take calls starting after I'm going to go a little later. So I'll take calls starting after 9:45. Okay. So 9:45, you guys want to call in. Um, I'll tweet at the number, I post number six, seven, eight, eight, one, Oh, zero, zero, eight, nine. If you would like to call in, but, um, really excited for this series of conversations. A couple of things that have happened thus far, um, you know, this week, uh, released a podcast, uh, what, yesterday with the mother of Mushtaba al-Suwaykat. Um, Mushtaba is one of 14 Saudis currently being held, um, awaiting, uh, uh, sentencing, death sentence, uh, uh, sending from participation in a peaceful protest that occurred, I believe it was in 2012. Um, Mushtaba is one of four, though, who was a minor at the time of the protest, at the time of their arrest. And um, he was detained actually as he was boarding a flight to come visit what would have been his university, Western Michigan University. Um, really great conversation. Shout out to Salam from Progressive Army for doing the translation for me. Um, it's called A Conversation Between Mothers. You know, myself being a mother of teenagers, talking with the mother of Mushtaba Asawekat, who who shares with us, you know, more of who her son was, who her son is, um, and what this 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 five year 
uh, detainment, arrest, uh, imprisonment has done to their family. Um, so definitely check that out. It's up on iTunes, Spreaker. Um, I need to actually get, get it together and start sharing now to Media Revolt. If you haven't signed up on Media Revolt, MediaRevolt.org, definitely go check it out. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so it's a lot going on. Last week, you guys might have seen, I had a lot of tweets and showing support for, um, you know, Maria Chappelle Nadal um, out of Missouri, a state senator who was really, really under uh, fire for um, comment, for a comment, let's be real. It was a singular comment in the thread that she made um, right after Charlottesville about, you know, the president. Um, it's still so weird calling that man the president. But she immediately like was like, oh my God, I shouldn't have posted that and deleted it. Someone, of course, screenshotted it, went all around, went viral. People who have been harassing her, she's being death threats, people are attacking her. Well, it turns out in the past, since that time, we have had actually three elected, well, two officials, excuse me, and one is a city level employee, I think maybe in, in, in somewhere in New York, um, who have made similar types of remarks, not towards the president, but towards other people um, protesters. So, so, well, and then, well, in one case, so here in Georgia, we had a sitting state rep, um, here in Georgia threaten a former state rep, former rep representative, Georgia representative LaDawn Blacker Jones was threatened on, on social media, um, by a current, by a state rep from a uh, Southern part of Georgia pertaining to, um, a Confederate memorial that's in the Southern part of the state. Um, and very vile references and it demands actual, not just statements about, oh, that was bad. But as we saw the way conservative media, Republicans, Democrats too, pile on to, uh, uh, uh Senator Maria from Missouri the past two weeks, you now have three white men who have made egregious, egregious direct statements via social media about people being hung, which is the, what the statement that was made today. Um, in a post about protesters in Springfield, Missouri, um, by a sitting state senator or, or representative, excuse me, he's a state representative, and the silence from the governor, lieutenant governor, and others who have who led the lynch mob against you know Maria in, in Missouri, it's astounding. Um, some people will say, well, or Maria made the one, yes, she did, but this man's post has been up for several, was up for several hours today. I'm not sure if it's still down because I, I, well, we saw a couple of hours ago that it had still been up for four hours. Um, no remorse, uh, trying to pull the post up now, but like no consideration. Shout out to the, the up and coming, you know, media outlet grit post grit post is pretty sweet. If you don't already know about grit post, check them out on Facebook and Twitter, check out their website, grit post. Um, they actually, one of their writers actually broke the story about the best buy price gouging, you know, down in Houston with, with, with Harvey and it got picked up by several outlets, many, which of course being crappy corporate media did not actually attribute them or their original, um, writer who writes for them. So a whole bunch of stuff going on right now. Um, but I'm trying to see if I can get this image up for you guys, uh, because this is just, it's like really, really egregious stuff is happening all over the place. And, you know, there's all this, this nonsense about how, you know, both sides or we can't be violent or do this. You know, Nancy Pelosi released her statement, um, denouncing Antifa at Berkeley. Whereas you had community folks and past in a pastor who did a um, interview, some, some local news where they were indicating that actually Antifa, um, was there for them, you know, protected them. We heard the same from Dr. West and others who were present in Charlottesville. So it's really interesting 
um, how we're seeing this play out. But really what this is, hold on a second, I was trying to pull up, oh, there it goes. Um, what we really have is, you know, I'm trying to work this OBS, y'all. Um, Warren Love, so so state, state Representative Warren Love, this is an article about, you know, someone throwing paint on the Confederate statue of Spring River, Missouri. Um, this is totally against the law. I hope they found and hung from a tall tree with a long rope National Veterans Cemetery in Springfield, Missouri. Now, I understand, you know, I understand folks being like upset about different things. And I understand being like, you know, finding that things are problematic. But at the same time, I really feel like the way in which we allow people to get um, we allow people to get away with sorry um, we allow people to get away with these things um, so that was that was an inch like again shout out to Grit Post for, for writing I mean they, they got a piece up real quick um, they also did a piece you know from you know Maria's point of view and kind of what's been going on with her um, so there's just a lot that's been going on and there's a lot that we've been, you know, dealing with or whatever and just making sure that wasn't my dad trying to call in. Um, but there's a lot of people, there's a lot that we've been dealing with. There's a lot that's been going on in terms of these narratives. You know, we talk a lot about, um, wanting to do better than mainstream media, corporate controlled media. We want to provide, you know, narratives and information and a lot of people forget there is a really important um, relationship between media and democracy, particularly independent media right now, as we have the so-called mainstream corporate media lined up a particular way. Because right now, it's not even so much that we have, you know, the, the more establishment Democrat liberal media. Hold on for a second. Let me see. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Hi, Daddy. I'm sorry. That was so unprofessional. <laughs> Hello, guest. Yes. How are you? <laughs> yes, we're so unprofessional, but that's all right. I am unprofessional. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, I really, really appreciate you uh, for being here and hanging out. Well, I, I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you, thank you. So I know we talked about not giving you a lengthy, overly gregarious um, introduction. So everyone, this is my, my stepfather, Messiah Heosi. Um, he's an awesome dad, but he's not just here because he's my dad, because he's also done some really interesting work. Um, and I'll let you introduce yourself with whatever titles you're comfortable with, but he's worked with some really great organizations from um, Critical Resistance to American Friends Service Committee, um, Jericho movement, uh, I mean, so many to count, um, you know, I'll let him get into some other stuff, but, but, but part of it, like, again, everyone's quoting Fred Hampton, everyone, today's Fred Hampton's birthday, everyone's quoting Fred Hampton, everyone's like, oh my God, this, that, and the other, but my dad, who, you know, for a period of time was, was, was also Black Panther, um, I, I asked him to join me for a conversation, kind of just to talk about, you know, movement building and some of the work that he has done, um, just because I think we need perspective. I learn a lot when I talk to him and I, he actually gives me a value check sometimes. Daddy, I'm not trying to like blow you up. I'm just being honest about how I feel when we have conversations. So I figured that you all could benefit as well as I do when I listen to someone who is clear and humble like Mr. A. Hills. Was that okay, Daddy? Okay. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, 
Okay, and um, so let me see. I, and I actually, because our conversations go good, because I'm a question, I like a, a back and forth dialogue most of the time. Yeah, um, yeah, I absolutely yeah. agree that. That's how I usually do it. But I figured you'd want to give just your own really short intro, or if that was fine. Then okay. That's too. A, a, a short intro. My name is Masai Hosey. Uh, and first off, I'm a Muslim. Uh, I'm also with Critical Resistance, which is a, a movement to develop, that seeks to establish a movement to abolish the prison industrial complex, uh, to abolish it, not to reform it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a national member, also a board member. I'm also uh, on the steering committee for Jericho Amnesty Movement mm -hmm. for political prisoners and prisoners of war within the United States, which seeks to gain recognition and the release of political prisoners within the United States. First of all, to get people to understand that they actually exist here. At the current time, I'm also acting co-chairman of Jericho. And as you said, I've worked with the American Defense Service Committee in a project called Prison Watch, which monitors uh, abuses within the United States and with a particular focus on the uses of devices of torture and control units within the United States by all okay. its various names. Um, that might be a little bit of it for now. If I think of something else, I'll let you know. <laughs> but to, 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 to your question about Fred, because I and, I'm, and I should also point out to people, because even when you sent that and said that's what you want to focus on, movement building, I should point out to people well, that okay. long-term involvement with the New African Independence Movement. Yes, I have you. a relationship with the provisional government, the Republican after the New African Independence Movement. So I think, like, a lot of times, even when people talk about movement and movement buildings, mm -hmm. it's important to recognize that there are different movements. It might be one struggle, but different movements. Because I think when, pe when people, when we're not clear about what it is, that what movements we're a part of, we might have different expectations of each other. And if we're not clear then we could just keep bumping heads and stuff. So that I needed to point out. And for those who don't know about the New African Independence Movement, it's basically what it implies. You know, we are those who are descendants of enslaved Africans who seek an independent nation state. Uh, I told you there's, there's a show. Else. I told you there's a show um, from the creator of the Boondocks, actually, who that, that that's... That's actually having a, a, a black nation state um, is actually as a as a basically as reparations out of this coming out of the Civil War. And that's I got to find out more about it. But that's it'll be really interesting to see how that actually turns out and then to hear kind of your thoughts on uh, how that unfolds. It would be. And if it helps to bring attention to the independence movement and it helps if it helps to bring attention to uh, those prisoners of war, political prisoners and prisoners. Uh, political prisoners and prisoners of war who come from both the independent movement and other movements, that would be a big help. Uh, and if I don't get to it here, I have, to, I have to emphasize that point again about the fact that there are political prisoners and POWs here, because even when people talk about movements now, we don't right. recognize what happened with those people who were involved before. Absolutely. Then um, we, we tend to uh, underestimate 
what it is that we're dealing with. I mean, we have people that's been locked up 30, 40, 50 years within the prisons in the United States. And a lot of people, particularly those young activists, are coming along now and don't know what happened to them. So it's lessons for them to learn there. I mean, this thing that the United States allowed free speech and all that, even though people know a little bit better than that, they sometimes think that the furthest that it goes, maybe they'll get locked up for a few days or a few years. No, the United States has no problems with people putting people away. And the interrelationship with some of the things I talked about before, like even control units, is that in many cases these people are locked away in units that people in the United States don't even know they exist. So, Daddy, um, let's, just, let's just pause for a second right there or whatever. Um, two things. One, when you're talking about political prisoners and POWs, can you just break it down just a little bit, like, specifically, like, give maybe, because, I mean, obviously, everyone knows, uh, people saw, um, you know, Oscar Lopez w- was getting granted clemency last, well, ahead of the election cycle when Obama was on his way out. Um, you know, people are familiar with Mumia Abdul, excuse me, guys, Mumia Abdul-Jamal. People are familiar with Leonard Peltier, but there's so many other people that people have no clue of. They're not some of the bigger names that, that maybe reach the mainstream you know levels that people have been organizing around mobilizing and working to even get basic legal access for um so i know like through some of your work like with with jericho and other things you're doing can you just you know just just touch on a few of the of the names or cases that you're aware of um where these have been issues and then can you explain to us what a control unit is okay well and and when you mentioned jericho i think that people who they can go to the website, and I would suggest that they go to the Jericho website. They can uh, either just go Jericho Amnesty Movement, they can Google it or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'll find the names of uh, many of the political prisoners and POWs in the United States and the movements that they come from. And I would say that Jericho, even though we may have like, you know, 100 or something like that, it's as many more in the United States. As you said, people sometimes don't know that they're even here, and if they didn't have anyone that advocate or raise their name in a certain way, they don't get mentioned. Um, now, in, in terms of like, okay, like some of the names is like some people in particular I will think about is uh, like uh, Abdul Malik Kaba, uh, mm-hmm. also known as Jeff Ford. He's one of the people. That's in one of those units. He's in uh, in Florence, Colorado. Uh, formerly known as Jeff Ford, he's in Florence, Colorado, uh, administrative maximum or with a administrative security unit. That's that's ultra super max prison. That's uh, basically that twenty three or twenty four and a half, twenty four hours a day lockdown. You know, in some cases, people have no human contact. Another person that would be there that some people know about more so than others would be Larry Hoover. Uh, he's he's also locked down there. And in, in both cases, they just recently had a little bit more access to some kind of communications, uh, a little bit more than maybe none or limited before. There's Imam Jameer Abdul Amin. Uh, he might be one of the more well-known people, but he's, yes. uh, he's also a Muslim. He's in Tucson, Arizona, has severe health problems. He was formerly known as H. Rap Brown, uh, and we're trying to get him either back to, and we're trying to get him out, but we would like to get him back to Georgia because where he is now, he's far away from uh, really any access to the family, and it makes mm. it hard to do legal work on his case. There's Brother Malmeem Kabir, uh, Nelvin Mays. 
He's a brother who has chronic uh, COPD. He went in healthy. His lungs are collapsing. He's something like 5% lung capacity. He's in a medical facility in uh, Florence, uh, in Springfield, Minnesota. Uh, and there's too many more names, like I said, for me to right. go through now with the time. But I suggest that people look at, at actually the website. Uh, and you asked me another part. I said, can you just explain just a little bit about what are control units? Okay, um, control speak, units. Because I, well, this, well, the reason why I like, I really wanted my dad just to come in and I figured he would find his space with whatever he wanted to talk about because because we talk so much about Fred Hampton and movement building and revolution and all this other stuff, but there's another side to all of this. And there's a side to all this that we don't really learn about that most people don't know about unless they dig in real deep and start working with some of these groups. But like things like control units, I mean, it's so much more than like, oh, 13 was a really moving movie and, and you know, institutionalized slavery and prisons are bad. Let's get a repris- I mean, there, there's so much that's going on and we need to understand the vocabulary. We need to understand the humanity. We need to understand what's going on. So, Daddy, can you explain what a control unit is? Well, I mean, and, and, I, and here I was also suggest like a good a good place to look at is... Uh, they can look at like a well, prison watch, the criminal justice program of the American Friends Service Committee, because I had the pleasure of working with a, a woman named Bonnie Kness for about 10 years, and she's been doing this work for many more years than that. So uh, if you can go on the website, you can find some of the materials she and others have done. Also, it's a good way to get in contact to find out more information from her. But control units, basically what, what the name implies, uh, the purpose of control units is to like, well, I think it was in the 60s when Marion, uh, Marion prison was used as a control unit mm-hmm. and the warden at that time, the purpose of control units was, was to stifle revolutionary impulses both within the prison system and within society as a whole. So control units was where people were sent when they just wanted to take them out of circulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it's billed to the general public that it's, it's the place for the worst of the worst. No, that's not even like like the wording says. Uh, you know, the, in order for somebody to be sent to a control unit, it's not necessarily the worst of the worst. Well, it's the worst in, the, the worst in terms of like what pressure might represent to the system. So uh, if you're an effective organizer, if you're too effective an organizer, you might be sent to control units. Like I said, Marion was uh, officially designated at something like in the the 60s. Since then, Marion, I think, was a level four. When we talk about a place like Florence, that's a level six. Control units have increasing level of lack of contact with people on the outside. There's also a a group of units uh, that fits into the control unit category called communication management units. Communication management units, you may have more flexibility and freedom inside the camp, okay. but there's less less contact with people outside. It's extremely restrictive in terms of what material can come on come in, and how people can communicate with people outside. Very very limited contact. That's where you also find a lot of like what some people call like post 9/11 prisoners. A large number of them are in fact. Muslims, uh, okay. whether they're from the immigrant community or whatever. So 
So those are control units. That's briefly. And like I said, and then there's also the special control units, like core security threat group management units. Those are commonly sort of or called gang units. You know, and like a lot of other units, you didn't necessarily have to do something, but you, if you were, you could be put in them because you were a member of something or you were said to be a member of something, just on the basis of that. Uh, and I know that the time is just about up, so let me say a quick thing, because when you mentioned Fred, I, I actually tried to get in touch with Fred Jr., even though it would have been late, because I felt like it might be good if he jumped on, because I didn't want to get into a lot about his father. I would always be more than happy to talk to Fred Jr. any time for perspective. Okay. Um, well, that would be awesome, Daddy. But well, yeah, you you probably will run into him if you go into uh, if I go to the, the event e in New York e events, yeah. But yeah, so I, I thought about him, and in the process of, of, of thinking about him, you know, I looked again about like that whole assassination for Fred mm -hmm. when you mentioned like today was his his birthday, and and as far as like I think you, you said something about like sometimes people be sloganeering or whatever, and I'm I'm not into sloganeering, but at the same <laughs> time, one person's sloganeering is actually somebody else's uh legitimate work, and, and I think right. for a lot of us, it's like if people are trying to do something legitimate. Uh, then we, 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 we support it. I mean, it's up to people. You know, people know what their capacity is. I mean, if they mislead other people and get other people in harm with it, then that's something else. Right. But that, right, get, right. again, goes back to what movement somebody is or what movement, you know, they actually think that they are. But people do, you have to look at the fact that Fred was an effective organizer. Fred was assassinated. And that's also a whole part of that story, even some of the people I mentioned from Chicago before. Because mm -hmm. contrary to what the mass media would say, and even some people on the left seem to believe, Fred had a very good relationship with, uh, with a lot of organizations on the street. Right, right. Very good, much more than people think. And when you talk about actually effective organizing the movement building, Fred was a, 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 a good person. He, he was a people person. There was a lot of sincerity about him, and that can make a big difference. And I believe my time is up. Well, so, I just have uh, another quick question. I just have a quick question for you, Dad. I mean, you, I like what you just said about, you know, when you talk, talking about effective organizing, that Fred was a people person, but he was a good person, right? Like there was, it was a, it seems like from just watching the old footage, because since it's, you know, almost two decades, predates me almost by two decades, it, it is, well, 15 years or so, but, but it is a, it is a, a sincerity or a genuine commitment to, to, to the people, right? That seems like what really resonated with why Fred was effective and able to uh, reach so many across so many diverse groups. And when I was saying about people quoting Fred, we've had, it runs again, we've had white people quote Fred to admonish us from challenging them to do better in some of our, you know, spaces that we're working in. Um, we've also had, you know, a lot of people do, but Fred Hampton has become a symbol, especially right now with a lot of folks on the left and all this talk about revolution. But I really do think that when people are thinking about, you know, folks to hold up and, 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 and people to honor, I guess, through the work, I, what you said about, you know, it depends upon what work you're doing and where you're leading people. And I just want, could you just say something about, you know, the dangers of, you know, people being, you know, misleading folks and, and different purposes that people have, like, like how to be aware or mindful of who you're following and why? Well, I, I mean, in some ways, it's not even something that I could really say here. Again, it's like, mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. if somebody's 
taking somebody into territory where they don't want to go, then they have to be careful when people start talking too much about armed struggle, which I relate to, and if you don't know them. And a lot of that comes like how long somebody's been working with somebody. If you people let somebody influence them that they just met yesterday, uh, there's not a lot we could tell them. I mean, uh, and there are some people who, you know, are, are provocateurs. I mean, if they look at the case, if people look at what happened around Fred and some of the people around him, uh, you know, the whole drugging before he, you know, went to sleep that night. So it's like people just got to be mindful. And again, it's like, where where are they going? Where do they intend to go in their part of the struggle? Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, I wouldn't tell somebody, I couldn't tell somebody like to stay away from a particular person. Okay. So then I would be uh, just as bad as, that's some other things, and that can have a, a, a chilling effect. Uh, but again, people working with each other and knowing who they're working with. Mm-hmm. But that comes from actual work and, uh, and, and meetings, face-to-face meetings. As you may also know, I'm not one of them big social media people no, uh, organizing no work by social media. I think it's dangerous. I think some people now engage in dangerous practices, but that's really up to them. But uh, mm-hmm. which if they look at some of the stuff that we talked about in the past, then they they may come to some of them same conclusions themselves. Mm-hmm. Like look at some of the cases with uh, on the Jericho website. And when I mention critical resistance, I should say like when we talk about abolishing the prison industrial complex, that includes you know uh, that whole thing about imprisonment. It includes things like surveillance. So that's also a very good website to look at what the PIC is. Because when we talk about the prison industrial complex, we are not just talking about tearing down or even tearing down prison walls and you just let people out. We are talking about establishing systems of accountability mm-hmm. at all stages. But we also, the PIC also includes that, that whole thing of the idea that there has to be this big surveillance network. Okay. So, uh, yes. Yeah. All right, well, thank so, you, Daddy. I appreciate it. I think um, we definitely, well, you will help me connect, reconnect with folks from uh, Critical Resistance as well so we can have a more in-depth conversation about that. And, and I appreciate you for giving me 15 minutes because I know that's, that's all I asked you for. But um, I'd love to have you talk with me a little bit more in-depth about some of the cases and work you're doing with the Jericho Movement or if there's someone else that you prefer to do it, that would be great. Um, so... I mean, I, 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 there's so much I could talk to you about, but I, I don't want to keep you too long because I know I only ask for a certain amount of time, and you're rather particular. So I love you, and thank you. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> Bye, now. Bye. <laughs> um, so, so that was my, my stepdad, and uh, I just dropped. Oh, wait, and now I'm going into my second call. Yay. Hello? Good evening. Good evening. This family is so punctual with it. So now we're on the line. This is this is my my mom, my mentor, my godmother, Professor Judith Scully. Thank you so much. You just missed Masai. Masai was just on before you. Um, I called in the family oh, tonight. <laughs> like when I tell y'all, I come from an amazing black radical revolutionary family. I come from an amazing black radical revolutionary family, and two of the most amazing people in my life agreed to give me some time tonight so i'm super excited um so thank you so much for finally saying yes and coming to chat with me absolutely my pleasure awesome so one of the things that just happened that i um had sent you earlier an article about was um and and this is something 
while not this specific set of cases, this is something I know that you have had a lot of personal professional experience with in terms of Chicago police and the idea of accountability and oversight. And I was just wondering if you could just kind of give us some background about, you know, um, the lens of like police, like, like dealing with police brutality cases and, and, you know, having an extreme, me- well, I don't know if it's an extreme measure, but, but the idea of, of, of going to court to get court oversight of a police department, particularly the Chicago police department in terms of making sure that certain reforms and actions actually take, um, take hold. Right. Well, I think that it's absolutely necessary given the history of the Chicago police department that there be oversight at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2015, the Department of Justice issued a report that concluded pretty clearly that there was a pattern and practice of unlawful conduct um, that Chicago police officers engaged in, mm-hmm. um, using force inappropriately, including deadly force in an unreasonable manner. Um, they concluded that there was that the police officers were unnecessarily endangering themselves and others, Mm. and that they were engaged in shootings that were avoidable. Um, So we have a, I think it's a 165-page report from the Department of Justice um, that makes this very clear conclusion that there is a systemic and extensive problem with the Chicago Police Department. The Chicago police officers are not being adequately trained. Um, they have inadequate guidance on how to actually use force. Mm-hmm. There's confusion among police officers about when it is appropriate to use force. And as you indicated, there's no real accountability for officers who um, exceed their authority, right, who are either engaged in criminal activity or they are engaged in um excessive use of force in a civil rights violation type of way. There's no accountability for these individuals. And so the only way I think that we can really have accountability over a police force like Chicago Police Department is if there is a court-ordered decree which calls the police department into the courthouse on a regular basis to report on the progress that they are making towards Um, bettering their training towards improving accountability for police officers who are found to be in violation of the law and um, for a more extensive and um, comprehensive system of investigating officers. Interesting. And it's not, I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, this new report. It's not actually a new issue. Um, you know, what, what, what has happened in Chicago, I know it was interesting because this outgrew from the Laquan McDonald case and other egregious behaviors, um, around that and, and that the, the DOJ did an exclusive, they, they didn't just look at the, the, the Laquan McDonald case itself in the handling of that case, no. they looked at the entire Chicago police department. And this was actually urged previously. Right. They reviewed thousands of yeah. documents related to complaints against police officers to internal investigations of police officers. They interviewed um, police officers themselves and administrators, and they interviewed hundreds of community members and community organizations as well before they came to their conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I remember thinking when this was first done in terms of the DOJ report that this was a, a good step 
considering when there was the investigation that was limited to just John Burge in Area 2 itself and not the entire police department at that time, um, which predates this by about approximately 20 years or so. Um, so I was like, okay, this is a good step, but, 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 but now seeing that there is a move for, for actually having a court administrative process in place, and this is something Rahm Emanuel has been, has been fighting against. They want to be able to select, you know, who will be in terms of who it will be in terms of oversight. They don't want to submit to a court. And that's so problematic. And I appreciate the way that you broke it down about how, um, that the way a department like the Chicago Police Department is running and has been running, it, it needs this type of, you know, measure in place uh, to actually have meaningful, you know, action happening going forward versus a, hey, we, I picked my own babysitter type of scenario that Rom seems to be proposing. Um, and just thinking right. about... Right, although... No, go ahead. I thought, I thought that Rahm Emanuel was now um, moving closer to saying, yes, he agrees that there should be a court order consent. I think, I think he is, I think he is, but I think there's still some finagling. He was definitely reluctant at first. There's no doubt about it, but I think that he's being persuaded by um, community groups and input from other individuals that that may be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And thinking about these cases and the way in which, um, I mean, we have a system-wide issue and we have so many instances. I mean, we have Baltimore, we have the, the reports that came out of after Ferguson. Oh, excuse me. Yep. We have so many instances and it's so widespread. Um, is there is there a necessity to look at police brutality and police killing cases? Is there a necessity to look at these through a different lens than is traditionally viewed here in the United States? Well, yes, and certainly that has actually already happened, even Mm -hmm. in the context of the Chicago Police Department. I mean, we need to um, stop thinking about this just as a civil rights um, issue and begin thinking about police brutality and police violence as a human rights issue. Mm -hmm. And um, you mentioned earlier the Burge case where, you know, John Burge, a former commander in the police department of Chicago, um, for 30 years trained officers to use torture tactics to extract confessions from individuals during police interrogation. Mm -hmm. Um, Over 200 African-American men were subjected to torture under the supervision of John Burge, a Chicago police officer. That case, um, it wasn't just one case, it was hundreds of cases, went through the civil rights system, um, you know, with lawyers filing civil rights lawsuits constantly for over two and a half decades against John Burge and his fellow officers. Um, And it wasn't effective because the most that you can get out of a civil rights lawsuit are damages Mm -hmm. for the family members that are left behind um, as a result of the, the, you know, the harm that is done right to individuals who are tortured to death and if they live then there's damages for that individual but it doesn't remove the police officers from the police force it doesn't um, change the way in which business is done by the police department it doesn't provide for accountability for the individual police officers because even when these civil rights lawsuits occur um, the city of Chicago indemnifies the police officers so it's the city that's paying this the, not the police officers. So the police officers aren't really held accountable to the civil rights structure. And so there was a, 
clear understanding that something else has to be done. And you're looking at 200 African-American men who had been tortured by Chicago police officers. Um, this, these cases eventually moved into the international human rights arena, um, where individuals brought petitions before the United Nations claiming that the Chicago Police Department had violated the Convention Against Torture. They had violated the Convention um, for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. And there was potential arguments there as well that there was a violation of the Genocide um, Treaty also. So these are all human rights um, treaties that were violated as a result of the actions of the Chicago Police Department. So we have already moved the conversation and the dialogue and the confrontation against Chicago police officers from the civil rights courtroom into the international human rights arena as well. And I think that in the future, particularly when you're looking at police misconduct from an inter- from a national perspective, that we need to begin to frame our arguments related to police violence in that human rights framework. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is beyond time, really, because this isn't even a 20th century um, problem, right? This is a problem that has existed. The problem of police officers using violence um, disproportionately against African-American men and women, the African-American community in general, and the Latino community as well, Mm -hmm. but using police force against non-white communities in an excessive um, and often criminal manner in the United States has to be addressed. Um, And our domestic system of addressing these issues is insufficient. So we're going to have to begin to look at this national landscape of police violence in a wide variety of cities in the United States as a human rights abuse. Right, right. And a human rights abuse of power. I mean, that is an absolutely... I mean, not just brilliant because I love you, a way of putting it, but really, I mean, um, I think I think when we talk about these cases, because, you know, we've seen in the past three years, right, we've seen people get really excited in a way emotionally. It's very, very emotional and visceral. I mean, with the 24-hour news cycle, with social media, we've been facing this like right up in our face constantly. And there's right. a helplessness of where to act or there's a lot of reaction, right, through protests and outrage. But when you start breaking it down, you know, these other components in the way you're talking about the framing and how people are dealing with stuff, um, just what do you think about, like, what people can do, you know, outside of, like, civil rights? I mean, obviously, like, we just talked about, like, like suing the way people had to do. I mean, it got damages. It got help for, for people who had actually been wronged by the system. But in terms of the way that police departments are set up right now, for the most part, you know, they get sued, you know, police go back in the, in, in the game, um, and, and the behavior just continues. I mean, we have some cases where police officers have multiple complaints or issues. You'll, you'll, you, there are some cases where you'll have a wrongful, you know, a, a wrongful death of a cop and they might have a previous one on their jacket. Um, so what are, what are, I, and I know, you know, you're not necessarily a policy analyst, but what are some things that you think that maybe people could start focusing on? Or, or, or thinking about in terms of their advocacy and work at the local and state level that could maybe help uh, um, push this forward besides just reacting to when there's a wrongful um, incident or occurrence? Um, well, I mean, in terms of 
what the average person, right, that just the, a citizen can do to yeah, address just, these issues? I mean, if you can think question? of anything, because I know this is a, it's a slightly unfair question, everyone, uh, that I'm throwing at her, but she, she's a quick study. She's a smart lady, so I just figured, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I mean, vid- vigilance is the, the major issue in mm-hmm. all um in all cases where we're looking at civil rights or human rights abuses, right? You have to, number one, document what's going on. And in order to document what's going on, you have to have a core group of individuals who are keeping track of what's happening in their local community, right? Who are the officers who are being accused of abusing their power? How often does this happen, right? Mm -hmm. What type of abuses are there? Uh, there needs to be, I think, from a community aspect, a central clearinghouse, like some some mechanism that keeps track of what the local residents are saying about how they're being treated by police officers. So that's really right. helpful in and of itself to gather that information. Um, and then, you know, in communities and police departments where there are internal investigative units, there has to also be some sort of community activism and community vigilance around how those internal um, investigations are being conducted and what they are reporting to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, use of the media by the, by the average citizen is also very important to build relationships with the media so that when uh, things do go wrong in the police department, they're our direct contacts with the media through whether it's social media or mainstream publications um, so that this information is being covered in a more comprehensive way, both inside the community as well as outside the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and in terms of policy, clearly it's important for every police department, right, to have um, what would I call it, to, to have a, a, a clear and open and public discourse about what training they are providing to police officers and what systems of accountability are in existence for each individual police department. Because we don't have national standards, right, in terms of um, police accountability. Right. Um, individual police departments, um, can be as good as their chief administrator or as bad as their chief administrator. And so having police chiefs who recognize the need to um, hold police officers accountable mm-hmm. is the major issue, I think, in most police departments. What is, you know, how are we leading from the top? Because most of this issue of whether or not we're going to hold police officers accountable really is directly attributable to. Um, how powerful the police chief is right. in sending a message to police officers about what conduct will be tolerated and what conduct will not be tolerated. Right, and that right. certainly is an issue that um, citizens, general citizens, can get involved with. Who is your police chief? What are they doing? How does the police um, chief respond to the community? Is there some way for the community to call the police chief into community meetings where these types of issues will be discussed. Right, right. There's a wide variety of ways in which um, the average citizen can get involved. 
Well, yeah, I mean, but I, I just think, I think, like, putting this all in perspective, the entire conversation that, you know, and thinking about what can people, like, because I, I get asked a lot, well, what can we, what can people, what can we actually do? And, and some of it isn't like there's these huge, really grand, you know, you're going to storm the, the, the hall and all of a sudden there's going to be all this widespread change. I mean, sometimes it's a little bit more, I know folks hate the word incremental, um, or, or, but it takes diligence. Right, and we can't. We yeah, also ahead. can't continue to just be reactionary, right? right? I mean, right. because communities up to this point in the last few years in particular have been responding to something that has already happened. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we have to get ahead of this, right? We have to begin to gather the information that we need to clearly present a comprehensive picture of what is going on mm-hmm. rather than constantly um, responding to a crisis. Right. Right. So in neighborhoods where there are cop watch programs, where um, community residents are, you know, following cops around and keeping reports of what police officers are doing in their particular communities, those communities and those types of actions are um, proactive rather than reactive. Right. They are um, constantly on watch, not waiting for the crisis to occur, but involved in the everyday normal activities in the community that police officers are engaged in. And I think that is um, a more effective way, right, of addressing these problems. Not waiting till the crisis occurs, but following what's going on on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. So... I appreciate you so much for joining me. That was really informative. And, and I, I hope we can schedule, uh, you know, we can prepare and plan and schedule some more commentary and conversation a little bit more in depth uh, at another time. But I really do uh, appreciate you coming in and giving just some perspective um, because that is a conversation that's talked about a whole lot there, especially in all this period of progressive movement building and stuff. This is definitely a topic that a lot of folks who are organizing or protesting talk about, but we don't talk about things in kind of the way that you've just talked about. Um, and, and, and I appreciate what you said about basically, you know, we, 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 we have to be, be vigilant. I, I like what you said about vigilance. Uh, uh, and staying the course and not being reactionary. I mean, these are definitely things that we got to start changing the way we respond and engage with these issues that 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 affect our communities on a very deep um, and historical level. And it is a historical issue, right? Um, like mm-hmm. I said, this isn't a 20th century problem. The problem that we've had related to policing in the black community has been in existence ever since policing uh, began post-slavery, right? Mm -hmm. So um, immediately after emancipation, the police, the way in which black communities have been policed have been um, racially violent and have been excessive um, since the the 1800s, right? This is not a 21st or 20th century problem. This started... um, immediately after emancipation. Yeah. So it is truly a historical problem, right, that seems to be getting worse because police departments all across this country are now more heavily militarized than they have ever been before. And so it's not just a problem of um, physical brutality. We're talking about military tactics and firepower 
being used against the average civilian in a um, black community, black and, and Latino communities as well. But um, most of the videos and the social media coverage has been around violence against black men in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so. And that that's another conversation I have too about the way in which even, and, and for those... Um, Professor Scully is a professor, obviously, and just recently, last semester, saw a really amazing class on social justice lawyering, um, and I got to do a, uh, a, a be a guest lecturer one day, and we talked about basically the role of social media, blogging, podcasting, this type of you know world we've been working within in terms of social justice lawyering and how to leverage it in terms of the cases and issues that we care about, and 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 one of the things we talked about, um, like when when I did that, and I think what you just touched on is just with all of this is how we frame narratives, um, but but frame narratives that also help build on the work that we're already doing. And I go back to what you said about um, vigilance uh, uh, is just necessary, but we also need to make sure that we're staying informed and up to date on what what's even going on, right? Because it's one thing to be mm-hmm. here advocating stuff. Um, you know, people love to throw around the different, you know, buzzwords we hear, you know, in terms of criminal justice reform and things like that. But when do we really take the time to dig deep and talk to folks like yourself who actually, you know, understand these mechanisms before we're just jumping on these different things that we might have read someone write a blog article about that sounds really great. Uh, uh, but but talking right. to people who actually have the know-how of the way these systems and the interfaces, you know, actually operate. Uh, uh, that will also inform, you know, any type of advocacy or, 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 or rallying that we're trying to do around particular issues. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, oh, I did have one more quick question for you. I know. See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be good because, because folks work really hard and they have long days, and I, I asked for 15 minutes, <laughs> and I'm already 10 minutes over. But quick question, because, because, oh, this, this notion of social justice work, right? Like, it, it, it there is a pejorative, the social justice um, warrior. It, I mean, social justice warrior had a particular term. You know, people would laugh. You know, it's the vegan granola eating. Uh, a, a super tree hugging environmentalist that loves everybody that's like down with PETA, but it's become like it that. So it was like a caricature type of thing. I think when people first really started using it, but now it's become this really derogatory pejorative that, well, I guess pejorative is derogatory, but that, but it's used in a way to basically undermine any type of meaningful conversation or commentary on issues that would fall under the umbrella of social justice, whether we're talking about, you know, issues of anti-blackness or racism as a whole, whether we're talking about being really committed to issues of criminal justice reform, or as we've seen now, the commentary shift to some extent nationally in terms of white nationalism, neo-Nazis. So I just, I know you kind of like, you kind of, you're kind of in the social media world, but you deal with and you work and engage in the regular world. I was just wondering, you know, kind of just just your thoughts about the reactions we see to people who, how people react to those of us who try to engage in this type of work and and, and maybe how to not cope, but how to, you know, either work around them or over them or under or through, or like, like, how do you, how do you continue to push through um, some of the nonsense, you know, in terms of people who try to undermine legitimate, you know, work and, and issues? Well, I don't pay a lot of attention to um, individuals who are trying to to um, use rhetoric mm-hmm. to um, destroy momentum, right? Mm-hmm. So when people 
make fun of the term social justice warrior. That's their problem. That's not our problem. <laughs> our problem is that we need to stay focused on what our agendas are. And we can't really get detoured by rhetorical conversations because we're dealing with real life and death, heart and soul matters that pertain to whether or not we are going to be able to live um, in a um, human way, whether or not we're going to be able to exist, right, in terms of exercising our right to exist and our right, our human rights, right? right? And so we don't have time really to argue about semantics, to argue about what you call us or what that name means, right? That That's a distraction, right? right? You can make fun of the term social justice warrior all you want. That's your problem, right? Our problem is how do we stay focused on our agenda? And I think that's really the only question and the only issue that we need to be paying attention to on a regular basis. What other people say and how they frame their issues, that's their issues. We just have to be sure that the way we're framing our issues speaks for the people that we represent and the community that we come from and um, make sure that we um, stay attentive uh, to that agenda because it's easy to become distracted, particularly by social media um, interaction and the social media trolls and all of the people involved in name calling. Right. Leave that right. alone. That would be my advice. That's the way in which I deal with it. I don't engage at that level. You can call me whatever you want. You can make fun of whatever you want. I'm focused on the real issue. That's a distraction. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's a great place to put a pin in it because, I mean, that's real. And that's actually very good advice for myself, <laughs> which I know I get it <laughs> privately uh, anyway. But, um, you know, folks, you guys always want to know more about me and stuff like that. You got it, some insight, not just into my personal life, my family tonight, but you got some insight from two really amazing um, people who have been doing this work for decades now. Uh, so, so thank you so much, Professor Scully, for joining me. Um, I really appreciate you taking some time again out of the week at the, after your long day to, to, to chat with me this evening. Look forward to having another conversation with you soon. Um, maybe I can even film it live. Ooh, that'd be cool. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Sounds I appreciate good. you. good. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, I mean, I, I again, it is... What you guys don't understand, like I said, this is my mom, but she is a hard, she, 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 she's a hard, hard cookie. Like she would not, she wouldn't thank me if I wasn't actually doing something that she approved of. <laughs> so I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. No. Night. That was awesome. Not only is it awesome because one, I figured out Skype. I'm sorry for everyone who was trying to watch me on, um, if you were trying to watch me on a uh, Periscope, apparently there is an issue with the way the stream is coming through through the encoder. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm not I'm, I'm kind of tech savvy, but not really. So I'm working on it. But um, shout out to everyone who has joined on YouTube and Facebook. If you have some free time and you would like to help me with promotion, um, that type of stuff, you, if you would like to volunteer, if you do marketing or anything like that, help me build out the way. 
You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, I am not someone who's just going to do clickbaity videos and stuff like that and, and cry and whine on Twitter or Facebook or whatever medium about how mean everyone's being and then post a video that's not even accurate like 15 times claiming someone from the New York Times is harassing me. I'm going to continue to do really good interviews and good content like this, but I do need help for my friends, for people who follow the show to help share and, and, and grow the audience, right? Um, so I do appreciate you guys so much. So those two, those were two interviews that I was really excited to have today because there's so much that's going on right now. But the other, but the other thing that I just wanted to touch on before when they were talking was that we can't, we can't trust, we can't trust established groups. Uh, we can't trust, you know, uh, 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 leaders in, in the Democratic Party. Nancy Pelosi, like I said, for example, issued her sta statement denouncing Antifa. We saw similar language come from Hillary Clinton and, and to some extent Bernie Sanders during the primary process when the protests, the anti-racism protests were happening. Um, but I really appreciate what my sis Cori Bush, you know, running for Congress, uh, Missouri, you know, Congressional District 1 out of Go Cory, yes pulling for you sis but Corey had a really great post um some days back about how people need to stop when they're posting about events when they're recruiting for events when they're talking about the moves, they need to stop advocating uh this notion that okay we have to be non-violent we don't want violence at our event like telling marginalized people telling people that are organizing that you don't want violence at an event as if they themselves their presence their existence and the way they 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 are living is violence is really problematic it, it, it looks through a lens that actually marginalizes people, their voices and their experiences. Like a lot of the organizing that folks, you know, and, and from, from Ferguson, like, you know, uh, 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 Corey, Maria, other folks who are active, you know, when we tell people that they're violent, I mean, the things that have happened to me through social media with people saying my, my words and the way I communicate is violence when I'm being, I'm standing strong in my ground and in my principles, that's not violence. And there is a history uh, uh, recently was, you know, the anniversary of, you know, Emmett Till. I mean, we have a history, just like we just talked about the history of police violence inflicted upon black and brown communities in this country. We have a violence of silencing narratives, of righteous narratives, right? Today is Fred Hampton's birthday. I mean, what greater example do you need of, of silencing people through, through falsehoods and rhetoric that ultimately in that instance culminated in his assassination. Because let's just call it what it was. He was murdered, cold-blooded in his bed. Like a map of his apartment was drawn and handed over to the authorities. People wanna talk about the deep state and stuff. I'm black, I come from a radical family. I know, understand about the deep state, but do you actually understand how deep all of this stuff goes? Like people are out here, and my mom is right. You know, we, 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 we can't get so caught up in the trolls and what people are saying. I do push back a little bit because I really do feel like we do have to correct bad narratives to an extent, right? When they're, when they're really um, infecting our movement spaces as we've been seeing happening with certain, you know, folks lately. But when we're seeing folks like Nancy Pelosi, we're seeing the media double down on not just bad rhetoric, but, 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 but the so-called liberal media, when you have opinion pieces in the New York Times and Washington Post today that are completely atrocious, right? You, 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 you have things that undermine, you know, human rights and our basic existence happening in so-called liberal media. And then you have the right-wing media that's even further extreme of that. We have no place 
we have no representation and we have to build up and strengthen you know the ability to get our narratives out and not just the few stories that everybody hops on from democracy now to tyt but 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 stories that are coming from you know the hinterland stories that are coming from the grassroots up of communities of, of progressive candidates of individuals of professors of, of of researchers of folks who are really trying to change the narrative change the game we have to lift up those voices we have to do better and it's going to take all of us we got to keep growing our numbers so come on come on come on let's gather around if you can't watch live share the videos and stuff but who should we really be helping project south check out project south project south is an awesome group they just did a piece about movement journalism that I thought was really, really brilliant. I'm definitely, especially since I'm, they're based here in Atlanta and I'm in Atlanta, I really need to get over there and, and sit down and talk with, I think I met their communications director um, at an exhibit at Wonder Root, which is awesome, you know, a uh, 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 spot here and a community center. But, but thinking about what, what, what media democracy, what movement journalism, what this all means and how investing in ourselves and our movements and our people, we, we provide a mechanism for us to be able to communicate on our terms. I mean, self-determination is crucial and that has to be infused into the way in which we're communicating with the world. So, um, that is my show for tonight. Uh, I, I, you know, there's a little disjointed with the two interviews, but there was so much going on today. Um, I think in a couple of weeks, I'll actually be joined by Kathy Myers. Um, you know, I, I interviewed Randy Bryce during, um, net roots, uh, on the DFA page. I will be, uh, interviewing Kathy Myers coming up, but, um, I have a couple of other candidates and stuff that I've been talking to that I have to get scheduled as well. But, but it's really important and not just because, you know, the mainstream corporate media sucks, but it's really important that we provide vehicles and mechanisms for us to tell our stories, that we build up, you know, the, 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 the ability to share and educate and engage. Because if we really want to turn things around in our communities, if we want to turn things around, you know, in these larger election cycles too, we have to have an engaged and informed population. You know, shout out to Angie Nixon. She probably is not watching because she's busy, you know, matching up single mothers with donors, uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey. And there's a whole, we, we, we have focused so much on Houston, there's a whole bunch of impacted, you know, smaller coastal cities and stuff like that. You know, shout out to all the folks, everyone, I mean, there's so many, there's several different grassroots organizations, you know, DSA Houston, BLM Houston, you know, these are folks who are actually also impacted by what's going on and they're trying to organize resources for other people, right? So if there are other smaller groups, smaller towns, if you know people, like let's try to figure out and help each other out, right? Because even though, yeah, okay, there's there's always gonna be a disaster, there's always gonna be some of this, like it's really disheartening for me this week to see people saying things like, well, that's what they get or this, that, and the other. Having lived through an environmental disaster, a man-made environmental disaster where people were just like, well, that's what people get for living there. You know, I lived in West Virginia because I had friends there I got offered a good job that was going to allow me as a single mother at the time to get paid decently, to be in a safe environment with my two younger, my two uh, elementary school age children and, and, and to provide a good life for my family and then not be too far because I was co-parenting with, with my partner who we were separated at the time. But like, there was so much that was afforded. There's so much that goes into people's ability to live and exist. 
I would not wish on anyone, not even these people who voted for Donald Trump, you know, the type of havoc that is being wrecked on people's lives from this hurricane, from any of these hurricanes. And I absolutely understand the stress and frustration of those who survived or experienced Sandy, for example. Um, and the fact that there are Republican senators, there are people from states like Texas who voted against aid for them. I get that. But take up your issues with the people responsible because we're all in this movement together and we acknowledge that the powers that be manipulate, they lie and they abuse the, tr the public trust on multiple levels. And we want to really change the narrative, change the game and change the way business is done, not just in Washington, but in our home states and our state capitals and our, and our state houses, we have to start building with people from the ground up. Well, Anoa, you, you haven't been wanting to work with certain people and you keep saying people don't believe in X, Y, Z. If we stick to the issues, if we organize and build and mobilize with people, we can turn things around, not just one city at a time, one neighborhood at a time, but one county at a time, but we can start flipping entire states. But we cannot, we cannot back down. We cannot tolerate any type of propaganda and marginalization and, and manipulation from anyone, whether they appear to be on our side or they're the other side. It's not tolerated. It's not tolerable. If we're really about, if we're really about anti, if we're really about anti-white supremacy, if we're really about, you know, anti-oppression, if we're really anti-capitalist, if we're really out here trying to do something, I mean, it has to be a completely, it has to be both ends. We can't just sit here and say, well, I'm, I'm for this because it benefits our side. But when the other side does it, I don't, I don't like it. No, we have to be better. We have to be better. We, we, we have to ride. We have to bring, we have to raise the bar. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I think, I think the DSA folks kind of cornered me on Twitter. So yeah, probably be looking into what I got to do to join DSA. Yay. DSA finally trapped the Noah. I'm going to be a, yes, Eli, you can call in. Um, I'm going to hang in for a few more minutes. Let me give you the, my son's about to be mad at me, but sure, you need to do your homework and go to bed anyway. Um, but if anyone wants to call in right now, I, I'll stay on for a couple more minutes. 678-810-0089 is the number to call in, you know, but, um, but, but we, we, we have to, you know, where can we dig in? What we can do? Shout out to Leap. If you are not familiar with Leap, check Leap out on um, Facebook and Twitter. Um, Leap was started by an awesome group of lawyers out of New York. It's, a growing um, policy clearinghouse, uh, you know, it's like the left, uh, it's the left's version of Alec. Yeah, you know, I mean, there is a lot of really good stuff. The number is actually in the comments in the chat. Um, 678-810-0089. What's up, cousin? Cousin Saeed Howard. Um, if you guys are ever looking uh, for some good DJ music, my cousin Saeed uh, from DC drops a first in a month mix and then he has some streams he does every once in a while too. You know, it's a family affair up in here. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's a lot going on, and we really do have to find a way to, you know, and think about media and the movement, media and democracy. Like, there's a lot of really great work. There's a lot of people organizing stuff, but this is a tool. This is a vehicle for informing and engaging people, right? Not for just sitting here getting clicks. I don't, I don't need you guys to support me. I definitely appreciate those who have contributed as patrons, who helped me pay for different subscriptions and for my little bit of equipment, basic equipment I have. But like, 
as much as we can build and help, like I'd love to find a way if anyone has any ideas about financial mechanisms that we can start getting some of the writers over at Progressive Army Pay too, right? Because right now there's so many different volunteer run out outfits. I mean, there's a whole bunch of amazing people doing work. Can we find a way to start getting some stipends or or, or small, you know, small need-based grants for some of the organizers we know, right? Uh, 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 shout out to the Bernie Coffee Shop, um, California Progressives. Uh, 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 I mean, like, you know, Michelle Manos and Jeffrey White, like amazing. There's amazing work happening out in California, right? And I know there's so many other people. Those are just the two names that came to the top of my head. Um, you know, the, the West Virginia Progressive Alliance. I mean, I mean, I would love to see, can, can we find a way to crowdfund and support the movement, to support the wonderful work that people are doing and not simply just giving ungodly amounts of money to any one particular, you know, um, content creator like I definitely believe that we need to support the media we want to see but I'd love to see us find a way to create a sustainable mechanism that would create a real left progressive you know media center media and democracy center that is really really uplifting and supporting you know whether we have regional outlets where people are reporting you know what's happening work that's happening on the ground with people having meetings or conferences or or, or whether we have protests just finding a way I mean, branching out into to the rest of the other aspects of new media, like there's so much that's happening right now and there's so many ways that we can really, you know, push forward and do what needs to be done. And um, yeah, so. Anyway, so I was just looking to try and see what was going on, but, but I think that... Um, this is this is this is this is the start of something big. I mean, like there's been a lot that's been happening in this space so far. And I think that the way I think that the way we do things, the way we engage and move. Um so there's something wrong with my Skype. It works. Oh, I see what happens. So Skype Skype is ridiculous. So, uh when I when I had to do my interview with Muchtaba's mother, um, Skype, I had to add Skype credit to be able to, you know, call out, but I had a subscription, but Skype's canceled my subscription apparently. So I have to get that straightened out. Like I had a, I had a three month subscription, but because I added Skype credit, it canceled my subscription. So Skype actually probably owes me some money right now. Um, so I have to figure this out. So I'm gonna put in a pin in it now and stop rambling with you guys, but I will, we will do a live call in, um, Let's see. I think we're, it's the holiday weekend. We'll do it. We'll do. We'll start doing a live call and show. Actually, you guys hit me up. Let me know because I would love to do another consistent show. Whether it's a call, straight call in show or whatever it would be, hit me up. Let me know. You guys can hit me up on Twitter. Drop me a message on Facebook or hit me up via email. The way with Fanoa at gmail.com. Uh, if you if there's some news stories, there's an organization or an organizer you think I should be interviewing and talking to. But please let's vet what we're let's vet what we're suggesting. You know what I'm saying? Like let let's let let's let's make sure that we're putting out good content that is solid, that is really gonna help further the dialogue, conversation, and knowledge base, you know, of the people that we're working with, of those who we're hoping to help influence and, and grow up. So this is the way with Noah. This is Noah Changa. This has been another Wednesday night with me. Yay, don't know. Okay. I'll I'll talk to you guys soon.